Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and our guest this week is books. My top 10 favorite books of 2019. Welcome to the studio. Nobody's going to say anything, huh? Okay, well, then I guess I will tell you about my 10 favorite books of 2019. So far, as of December 24th, I have read 70 books this year, and I'm bringing you my top 10. And I am actually going to have a little chat with the author of my favorite book a little later on in the episode. Just a quick warning, I'm not going to get super into plot because I am that person who's like so worried about spoilers that I don't even read the synopsis on the back of the book. This is just about what made me feel great, and it'll probably make you feel good too, so don't worry too much about the details. So, with no further ado, let's get started, shall we? Number 10, Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. We actually interviewed Linda on Nerdette because Evie Drake was so great. Let's listen to a little bit of our chat. I always try to find a way not to sound like an old person when I say this to people, but when I talk to people who are like in their 20s and they're genuinely upset about the fact that they feel like I don't really know what my direction is. Mm -hmm. And I'm 27, I'm 28. I mean, it's incredibly privileged to be able to say you still have a ton of time, right? Because you don't have a ton of time to pay your rent and do things like that. But you have a ton of time for your identity, particularly as a creative person, Mm -hmm. to develop. And you have a long time for your particular set of talents to mature. And that I do feel really, really strongly about. There is time for who you are to change at literally any phase of your life. (laughs) Isn't she delightful? So Evie Drake, the first couple of pages, she is getting ready to leave her husband. She's got like cash in the suitcase. She's in the car. She's pulling out of the driveway and she gets a call that he has just died in a car accident. It's about how grief is complicated and what it's like to rebuild your life. And it is just gorgeous and you're going to love it. Number nine is The Secret Commonwealth by Philip Pullman. This is the sequel to The Book of Dust, which is this new trilogy that's kind of based on the same world as His Dark Materials. For those of you who have been listening to Nerdette Recaps, His Dark Materials, you know I am obsessed with this world. And I am so happy to spend more time in it. The Secret Commonwealth is great. It's not too spoilery to tell you that at this point, Lyra is 20 and she's in college and she is just as sassy as you would want her to be. 
Number eight is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. This is Claire's first book, and I'm so impressed with it. It's more than 500 pages. It's super complicated with a lot of different characters and character dynamics, but it's done so well that it's such a pleasurable read. Chicago Magazine called it Big Little Lies in the Midwest, and I kind of love that, even though it's not quite as murdery as Big Little Lies. It's got so many secrets and salacious details and so much heart, and it's great. Number seven is Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. This is a book that I had gotten an advanced copy of earlier this year, and I brought it with me on a flight from Chicago to Seattle. I got about two-thirds of the way in, and then I left it on the plane. And I spent the entire weekend with my friends in Seattle complaining that I didn't have this book anymore, and I was so devastated about it. Angie Kim used to be a lawyer, and this is an amazing courtroom drama where the first chapter is like this horrible explosion, And then through the course of the book, you get to know all of the different people who were impacted by and maybe even caused the explosion. You don't know who did it. Somebody's been charged. Was it that person? This book is so good. Number six is Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. This book is less than 200 pages, but it evokes so many powerful feelings and senses of place and beautiful relationships And it's one of those books where, like, I finished it and I was just like, how did she do that? Like, you can, I think you can just tell that she's a poet because she uses her words so beautifully. So this is a short one, but it's so evocative and rich and it's just excellent. Number five is Wolfpack by Abby Wambach. This is the first nonfiction book on this list. It is not the last So Abby Wambach is, you know, this like Olympic gold medalist women's soccer player. She is awesome. I think it's fair to call her a boss bitch. And Wolfpack is really interesting. It's all the lessons she learned from the soccer field that you can apply to your life. As many of you probably know, I'm not a super huge sports fan, but I was blown away with how relatable this book is. And I highly recommend it, especially for people in your life who are like young ladies or maybe women about to graduate from school who like are aspiring boss bitches, because this is just a really good one. Number four is Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. You probably know Jenny Slate as a comedian. She played Mona Lisa Saperstein in Parks and Rec. You know that amazing scene where she's like, money, please. She also did the voice of Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which is one of the most endearing things existing on the Internet. And we had her on Nerd a couple of years ago because she's obsessed with plants, which is also like a charming as hell interview. So I wasn't really sure what to expect with Little Weirds, right? This is her first book. She's a stand-up comedian, and I was just blown away with how amazing this collection of short stories is. I like to call it a magical realist memoir because it definitely is all about her, but it's got these amazing, like, magical hues just sort of imbued over the whole thing, and it's so entrancing and lovely. This is the kind of book where... You want to read just like a chapter a night so that you can savor it because it's amazing. Or like me, you could just read it on an airplane and then sob your eyes out like whatever works. Number three is She Said. It's by Jody Cantor and Megan Tui. Those are the two Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times reporters who broke the story of Harvey Weinstein and the sexual abuse that that he and his company kind of covered up for a very long time. This is a story that I was worried would be like hard to read just because, you know, I mean, sexual abuse is not a light topic at all. 
But I was really impressed with how much this story actually doesn't focus on that at all and instead is about the power and impact of journalism. And to that end, I think of it as kind of like a feminist all the president's men. So if you like those stories about how awesome the First Amendment is and, you know, that just have really great characters, this is definitely one that you should read. Number two is Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. Just last week when I was traveling to Alaska, I saw somebody standing in the water fountain line holding this book and I accosted her because I was so excited to see it out in the wild. This is a book about a woman who is asked to become a nanny for two children who, when they get really upset, generate fire out of their skin. It is so charming and funny and weird and intense and... I just think everybody should read it. Okay, so those are my favorite nine. Number one is coming up right after this. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. My favorite book of the year, hands down, is a debut novel called Such a Fun Age. It comes out on December 31st, which means that like it is almost technically actually not a 2019 release, but whatever. It's 2019. The last day still counts. We're calling it. It's a story about race and class, about implicit bias and the assumptions people make. It is intense, and I would call it a book that is like important with a capital I. It is also hilarious and charming and so much fun. It's written by Kylie Reed, who is here with me now. Kylie, hello. Hi. Thank you so much. That's a really nice favorite word. That's so sweet. I mean, it's true. It's always, you know, like it's tough, right? Like it takes a while to decide what the favorite is. But this like just without a doubt was such a great book. I am so glad it exists in the world and I'm so grateful that you made it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to chat. Yes. Okay. So I think we should start with the opening scenes because I think this book does such a good job of establishing like the action from which everything results. And what we have essentially is Amira, who is like recently graduated from college. She's still kind of like trying to find her groove in the world. Mm -hmm. She's a black girl. She graduated from Temple in Philly. Mm -hmm. And she's a nanny for like a very well off white family. Yes. And it's like 1030 one night and she's at her friend's birthday party and the nanny calls and is like, hey, our house just got vandalized. We have to call the cops. Things are going to get weird. Is there any way you could come pick up the two year old and just like hang out with her at the grocery store for a couple hours? We'll pay you double. Right. And she's a little bit broke from birthday night. So she's yeah. not in a position to say no. And she and she even warns the mom. She's like, I'm wearing like party clothes. Yeah. You know, and I've had a drink. But if it's you know, if that's OK with you, then sure, I'll come do it. So she comes and gets the kid who's named Briar and they go to this swanky grocery store and the like rent a cop accuses this girl of kidnapping this white child. Right. And 
that's kind of all I like to tell people. And then like, it's just how all of these different people who were either present at that moment or who are, you know, involved in some way deal with it, essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love when books have a big opening scene that really hooks me and then kind of shows me the fallout from it. I don't know if you read uh, Leila Slamani's The Nanny, which is a very different nanny babysitting book than mine. But you learn that there's a murder in the family in the very first chapter. And then we go back. I I kind of love that style. Mine is not like that, but I definitely love giving readers something to hang on to in the first chapter. Yeah, that's really fun. So yeah, tell me more about how this book came to be. What, what What are you, I know what I got out of it, but I wonder what you were trying to accomplish with it. Yeah, I in the beginning, I always start with character. If I don't love the people, it's kind of like a job. If I don't love the people I'm working with, I'm, I'm out of there. I can't do it anymore. That's funny hearing so. from you as a writer because it's like you're just hanging out with yourself these days now, right? Right, right. I have terrible coworkers. Yes, all of them are awful. Um, I wanted to have a three-person awkward relationship. Uh-huh. That's all I really knew going in. And then with the backdrop of babysitting, I got two of them. There's so many themes of ownership within it that are sometimes really petty. And then you get, you know, an unreliable um, narrator from Briar of, you know, one day she, the mom's her favorite and one day Amira's her favorite. Yeah. And so then you have all of these layers of ownership when it comes to the history of black women raising white children in this country and and actually being owned by another family. Mm-hmm. And those kind of come running back to the forefront, even though, you know, Amira is a paid working woman. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about ownership, because I think the other layer of that that plays into it a lot, too, is entitlement, right? I think so, too. And like, who's allowed to claim what? Alex is a really interesting mother, because she means well, right? Like, she doesn't Mm -hmm. think she's racist or whatever. I found it to be so rewarding to read not only because it was so entertaining and fun but also because there were these moments where I was like oh okay I need to check myself you know Mm -hmm. like it it was I think it's a really great opportunity of a book especially for white people to read and be like you know maybe I shouldn't offer the paid staff to like help clean because that's like a weird thing to do you know I mean i those little weird things are so delicious to me because it's like when I was working, I would have loved a mother to call me and offer me more money to clean up or whatever if, if I needed the money. But mm-hmm. I also would have been offended if she, you know, I've had people call me articulate and right. they're trying to compliment me. But I, why wouldn't you think I'd be articulate? But I think that most people like Alex and color of skin often doesn't have to do with this very often just don't think they're racist and the language that they use is you know oh I want my kids to go to a really safe school Mm -hmm. or I saw this thing happening in a grocery store and I just got nervous or this restaurant seems sketchy to me all of those words are implying race in class but they just aren't saying it out loud yeah, there's a lot of those sort of like subtler things going around that mm-hmm. I think you do such a good job of bringing a light to. And I don't know, like, I just love the fact that you've pulled it off in a book that doesn't, it's not like super shamey necessarily, if that makes sense. Totally. It's my favorite thing ever to dive really deep into these petty domestic instances. <laughs> I just love it at the same time. As soon as you are critiquing the manners of wealthy people, you're saying that the systems that allowed them to be wealthy are okay and that there's a good way to be 
you know, making millions of dollars a year. And then there's a bad way. And mm-hmm. I just don't believe that there's a good way at all. Yeah. So Alex is not going to change systemic racism by being the perfect mother and the perfect, like, you know, employer. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. But it's really fun to watch all of these people, both black and white, freak out about their individual actions <laughs> throughout the book. So, <laughs> Is there like one thing that you really hope people take away from this book? Oh, man, such a hard question. <laughs> and it's not the first time I've gotten it. But every time I'm like, what do I want? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And maybe uh, that's maybe it's an unfair question just as no, much as the all. dress thing is where it's like. No, it's a great question. I feel like there's a there are a number of different morals in it. And it's salacious. It's got that like soap opera vibe to it. You know, I'm sure you wanted to write a fun book, but how much are you hoping to like subtly brainwash obnoxious oh, white people in Always America? Brainwashing. <laughs> I mean, I don't like to romanticize what I'm doing as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing my number one dream job yeah. every day. And I wrote a book that I just really, really hope people are just like gripped by the story and, and can't stop thinking about it when they're done. Yeah. That is the most realistic goal that I can have like there's like there's no redistribution of power when people enjoy my book and I think that that's an important thing to remember mm-hmm. um, on the other hand I love when books make me think differently about the world that we live in and kind of make me zoom out a bit yeah and I'm not a sci-fi writer but I really admire the restrictions that those books put on its characters mm-hmm. and in this book Amira doesn't have health insurance when she turns 26 And she works her butt off and she is just as deserving as anyone else in the book. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say, you know, at the end of the book, Amira doesn't win the lottery and live in a house just as pretty as Alex does. And so I would love for readers to look at the systems that are put in place that often keep poor people poor from this book and think about what that means for someone other than themselves. That's a great goal. Okay, good. <laughs> so some of the feedback you've gotten is like white people just coming up to you and, and telling you they're not racist. 100%. <laughs> and and I, I can't stop thinking about that for a number of reasons, partly just because it's so difficult for me to fathom reading a book like this and then feeling like I need to tell the author that I'm because I'm willing to acknowledge the fact that I grew up in a racist society and like do my damn best. But like, you know, we're all learning here. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just like, how do you respond when people say it? Like, do you give them a little badge? Like, Girl, I, I wish know. I should I should print some out. I think <laughs> I just am so it troubled is, by that. It is a very strange thing. But I think that it. um. I think it's a reflection of how uncomfortable people are with their own wealth and status and coming up to me, a stranger and saying, just so you know, like we're very close to our nanny or, you know, I actually nannied for an African-American family. I think those are prime examples of people thinking their individual actions are going to cause any kind of change which unfortunately they are not. And I don't think it's their fault that they think that. I think that we live in a world that really pushes individual actions. Mm -hmm. You know, we live somewhere, we live in a place where people say, oh, you should shame people for not bringing a reusable bag. And it's like, well, how about stores just, you know, cancel plastic bags? That would be the Uh easy thing in this. (laughs) But it's the individual action that looks like it's the most important thing. And so 
I think it is wild when that happens, which it has happened many times. And I do not have a proper response other than like, you go, girl. I don't really know what else to say in that situation. And I'm sure it will happen more often. Yeah. But I really so far, I love that the book can kind of meet people where they're at. And if it still makes them come out, even though they feel uncomfortable, that's that's great. Yeah, no, that is really wonderful. I mean, and I do think like something else is how much you just kind of revel in like weird, awkward moments anyway. I, do. I mean, <laughs> I love when they're not happening to me. But yes, <laughs> that is the goal. I do a little bit. I think that awkward moments typically reveal something about ourselves that we're not ready to share at that moment yet. And I also think that it typically like brings a lot of history right back. And I just think that it's interesting to see how history repeats itself. So as much as those moments make me cringe, they'll probably end up somewhere in a novel down the line. I should hope so. My God. How great was Kylie? I hope you enjoyed that chat, and I can't wait for you to read Such a Fun Age. It is such a great book. And hey, don't worry. I hope you weren't like frantically trying to write down all of those titles during this episode. We will have them all in our newsletter this week, which you can sign up for when you go to wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Special thanks this week to our intern, Bia Medius. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. All right, y'all. See you next decade. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.